You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Well, good morning, Anthem Church. Welcome. We'll bring the lights up in here. Uh, glad you guys are here. My name is Stan Hayek, one of the pastors on staff. And so uh, we are going to be continuing our study in the book of Genesis. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 13 and 14 today. So uh, I just want to open with an illustration. Uh, and, and today we're going to see uh, the security that God provides as our Father and the security He offers. And so I want to share a little bit of story about my dad. Uh, see, my dad, uh, he offered me quite a little bit of security growing up. My dad was 6'3", 240, and just farmer strong, okay? And what I mean by that, like he had, uh, his hands were like a catcher's mitt. In fact, I think I even got a picture, Brock, the one with like the birthday cake. Oh, no, okay, that one. So that was my dad. Look, just, you see those hands there? His Ring size was about a, like a size 16. He could roll a quarter through his rings. He makes that birthday cake look like a cupcake, right? And so another picture of my dad, just this is my dad, like stereotypical smile on his face. The other picture, Brock, is him smiling. I think he's giving uh, my little sister her birthday spankings there, uh, but always had like the, the flannel cut off. Uh, just he's a powerful Dude, I uh, grew up with 11 siblings on the family farm, took over the family farm when he was 17 years old because his dad passed away, and so right out of high school, uh, just working. And so let me tell you a story that I think best like, put my dad to hero status, like, where I'm like, you are just not even a real person, okay? So, so work with me. We had uh, about 100 head of cows, and we had them out on pasture, and this was a simple thing. We were going to move them from Steve Kupka's pasture across the highway into our pasture. And so we're going to move these cows. Pretty simple process, just a short little jaunt. And so we get the four-wheeler out on foot, and we're chasing them. And these cows have their calves. And farmers, you're going to feel me. I'll, everybody else, I'll explain. So all the cows start going through the gate, but one calf, about 450 pounds, gets stuck behind the gate, misses the gate hole completely, all the mama cows and all the other calves get going across, and they go across the highway, and this one calf is left there, and he doesn't know how to get out. Okay, this is a bad thing, okay? Because what's going to happen is he's going to start bellering, and all those mama cows, they're going to come back across the highway, and we're just going to have a mess. So we have to get this calf out. No fear, I have a superhero dad. And so this calf takes off and just jets out into the middle of the field because he can't find the gate. And so my dad's like, I'll go get him. And he's on the four-wheeler. He just takes off on the four-wheeler. And I see him as he's driving, he takes off his belt. <laughs> Interesting. He gets going full speed next to this calf that's on a dead sprint. While driving, takes his belt, throws it over the calf's neck, like ropes it, pulls the calf like next to him, does not stop one bit, just keeps driving, whips the calf around, and drives him straight out the gate hole. He comes back, he's like, do you see that? <laughs> yeah! I'm like, who are you? But, that, but that's the dad I grew up with, and I, and I realized, like, I was blessed. And, and I, when you have that kind of dad, you have a lot of security. I was much more confident than I perhaps I should be, because I'm like, what, you going to mess with me? Like, do you know who my dad is? Like, 
Tony Hayek. That's my dad. And it's so he, because of who he was, gave me such a great security growing up. And I understand that's not everybody's position. Not everybody had a dad. And I'm so blessed to have grown up with my dad for the time God gave him to me. But here's the reality that we're going to see in today's text is we all have a heavenly father. And he offers us more security than any great earthly father ever could. And we're going to see the language in today's text is he's the possessor of heaven and earth and he loves his children and he wants to provide us security that cannot be found anywhere else. And so that's what we're studying today. And so we're in Genesis chapter 13. And if you would, we can begin reading in verse 1. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And then uh, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Now, I don't want you to miss this. We're just going to stop there at the end of verse 4. He's been here before. See, in chapter 12, we see God just choose Abram. And he said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And what I do for you is going to be so extraordinary. People are going to know that you have a good God who is for you. And so God picked him, blessed him. And so Abram, upon that, he makes like a, an altar to the Lord. And now God calls him back out of Egypt where they went to kind of survive a drought and he comes back to the place where he's been before. And he sees that altar and he's just reminded of of God's goodness. And so he's back there, but not in the same position as he went before. See, he has such an abundance, it says, of livestock. He was very rich, verse 2, in livestock and silver and gold. I think some of you could probably resonate with this. Like if you went back to your hometowns, you are in a different life position, perhaps, than when you left. Perhaps one of the best examples we have in our church is Todd Van Voorst, another one of our elders here. This is what Todd looked like when he left Northwest Iowa, okay? I want you to work with me. It's one of your elders of your church, okay? You're like, what kind of church are we doing? Braided goatee, all that. Uh, And so Todd left his town in Northwest Iowa as a single dude, continuing his music career in hardcore, like with his hardcore band that was moving to Ames. And he's like, that's where I'm going. So some people's last image of Todd is this guy. Okay. If Todd went back now, here's how he would go back now. Here's Todd in a picture of his family. Look at him. He looks so much better, right? (laughs) So much better. And he married really well. And so there's Todd and Paige, six kids, another one uh, due very soon. And so can you imagine like somebody seeing Todd in a grocery store and like, this is not the same thing. So it is with Abram when he comes back, he comes back and it's like, whoa, you are so stinking blessed. What is going on? How blessed is he? Verse five. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Here's Here's what's happening. Do you understand from the text? These guys 
are so blessed. Abram is very blessed. And I would say Lot is more blessed by association. Because the promise from God was to, to Abram saying, this is what I'm going to do with you. But his nephew Lot is kind of around him and he just, he's being blessed as well by association just through being with Abram. It reminds me of last year planted some fruit trees. Man, I love like a good apple tree, good pear tree. Planted some. Well, then we had a stinking drought here in Missouri. And so I am like trying to save these trees because they don't give them away. And so I'm watering them on a regular basis. Watering the tree, but the grass around the tree, absolutely lush, tall, super like that deep green in comparison to the other stuff in the yard, right? The grass was blessed by association. And so it is with, with Lot. He is kind of blessed by association. And we're going to see that he removes association. It doesn't go super well for him. But he's blessed by association because he's around Abram. And so Abram says to Lot in verse 8, Hey, let there not be strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. And if you take left hand, then I'll go right. And if you take the right hand, then I'll go left. Okay? So Abram just has this open hands approach. Hey, Lot, you want to go left? I'll go right. You go right? I'll go left. You pick, buddy, wherever you want to go. And so, again, the, the amount of livestock that these two must have had where they have to spread out and they can't work it out. But here's a spoiler alert. We're going to keep studying in Genesis. Lot's life ends with him poor, drunk, and alone in a cave. Had he known what was coming, maybe he would have taken that suggestion. Hey, maybe we should split up. It's like, no, let's not do that. Let's have a barbecue. Let's do something. Like, there's other options here, Abram. Like, we don't have to split. Like, fire up the smoker, right? Lamb chops for everybody. He, he could have sold the gold, silver. Those don't take any resources. Herdsmen, you find a different career, okay? Like, there could have been other options here, but he doesn't. What's he do in verse 10? Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like a garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Okay, let's stop there. I got a map. It's low quality, but we'll put it up, Brock, if you would. So here's kind of a map uh, of this region. So they would have come up from like the bottom left corner is Egypt, and they kind of come into this area, and Sodom is around the bodies of water there, and then uh, Abram goes towards like Hebron, that kind of area. And so they have to split up, and there's some significant miles between them. I would venture to guess roughly the area that they're grazing is, is probably... 75 miles, like a big old circle, and so they don't overlap. And so you're talking massive herds that they would have moved around throughout these hillsides, and so they spread out. And Lot picks his location based on what? It says in verse 10 that he saw that it was well watered everywhere, like a garden of the Lord. 
See, Lot makes the decision using his eyes. And so he says, man, that's what seems to be good. So I want to illustrate this. We'll see how this works. <clears throat> you know how you get like the, the five-pound bag of apples? And there's the good-looking ones and then the other ones. And in my house, I wish I could say like, oh, family, you have the good one. No, I start with these ones and like kind of work through. And then you're left with the, the not as pretty looking ones, right? And then they just, you're like, I really don't want it. So you leave them in the bag on the counter. And then eventually like they get really icky. And then you pick them up and there's the wet spot on the counter. No one else, just me. Okay, right. But if you were, if you were using your eyes, which... Which one? And don't be that person like, oh, I'd definitely choose this one, right? No, you're going <laughs> to you're gonna go, I, I want the big one. That thing looks like a meal, and the color is just better than what is that thing, you know? So if you were to simply use your eyes like Lot did, you might deduct, man, that is the better apple, right? And so that's what Lot does. He uses his eyes, and he's like, that's the one I'm going to go. But here's the reality. It doesn't matter what's on the outside, right? What's it look like on the inside? Still want it? Still want this one? You want to take a bite? <laughs> like, no, yeah, I'm good, right? Because that's a mix of like motor oil and food coloring, okay? So you don't want this one. While it appeared to be good, on the inside, it wasn't good. Here's Lot. He's like, I, I choose that one. And this one's good. You can take my word for it, but if you need me to cut it, here. That's the one you would want, right? Like, which one? Probably the one that doesn't look terrible, okay? And so Lot looks on what's on the outside. He, oh, it looks good. Never mind that the, that the people there are great sinners against the Lord. I'll pick that one. And so he uses just like, oh, that's what it looks. And so I'm just going to go with that. How many times, church, do we kind of get duped into this where you just use your eyes to make a decision? Never go to the Lord in prayer. Never give it time. Never ask. It's like, well, they're going to pay me more, so I clearly should take that job. Like, oh, that, that school, that, that's the major I want. It's going to help set me up, so I should go there. Never mind, does it have a church community? Is it what I'm looking for? But, but on the outside, that's enough to make a decision, Right? And what we see here is, is, is you can't just simply use your eyes and have it go well for you. But that's what, Abram, or that's what Lot does. He looks, he sees that it's well watered, and he underestimates settling down next to wicked men. Stay tuned because we're going to see how that works. You contrast that with what is Abram's whole spirit in this. He's saying, man, my security is in the Lord, so I have open hands. You take left, I go right. You go right, I go left. I, Abram has this security that is found in the Lord. And so he's not so grabbing on to what looks good. He knows and recognizes that anything that's good is going to come from the Lord. And so Abram has this surrendered kind of spirit. Lot finds security in possessions, I would say it like that. Lot finds security in this land Abram finds security in the Lord. See how this gets played out. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, in verse 14, lift up your eyes and look from this place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring. 
I will make your offspring as dust on the earth, so that uh, it can, uh, so that if anyone can count the dust on the earth, your offspring will also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which is Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Abram has this open-handed approach, recognizing that my security comes from the Lord. And so, God, I need you. I'm secure, whatever you would have. And coincidentally, did you catch that? He goes west, but God says, oh, here's the thing. I'm not only giving you the west, north, south, east. It's all yours. He says, walk around in it, buddy, because you get to inherit it all. You and your offspring, you get it all. And so God just blesses him, and Abram rightly responds. And you see there, with worship, and he does that by building an altar. That's kind of like his MO, right? He's, he's going to mark it up by, by an altar and worshiping and saying, man, God provides. What can God do with open hands? It's this reality that, that God gives and God takes away, but do we have open hands, willing to not only give God what is due him, but in doing so also receiving what God would have for us? Does that make sense? You contrast these two. Lot, oh, this is what I want. We're going to see how that works out to have a closed hand. But what we're seeing here is look what God does with open hands. God chooses to just bless him. For me, this is how this gets worked out. I have a thick head and I feel more like Lot oftentimes where I'm like, I want the big apple. I want this. Recently, uh, about a year and a half ago, I was like, man, I need a new truck. I my truck, I got it off of like an online auction thing, sight on scene. Probably should have seen it before I bought it, but, but I went with it, and, and it worked. But a pull in the big church trailer, this was before we had a building, and there's just sounds coming from it, and I'm like, oh, I need a truck. And so I didn't pray about it. I'm just like, that's what I need. I've, I know that's what I need. And so you, may, nobody can resonate with this, but maybe a few guys out there. So you get on, you say, okay, I'm getting on AutoTrader, cars.com, looking at Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, know exactly what I want. And you just start searching and quickly become like overwhelmed. You're like, wow, what I want is really expensive. And so, but you're trying like, oh, I got to make it work. It's like, maybe, you know, if I, I donate a little plasma, we sell some of these kids' toys, like maybe I can go get that truck. And, and so you're just trying to do all these things. And I, I remember trying to make it work and, and having these conversations with my wife about how I really need a brand new truck. And, and she's like, I don't think you do. And, and I'm like, no, I do. Have you prayed about it? No, but, uh, but I'm pretty sure this is what God would want because it's what I want. <laughs> Some of your elbow and your spouse right now. Uh, but this reality is like, I'm going to go get that. I remember just getting in that spot where it's like, okay, God, and I remember him just working on me. He's like, are you content with what it is that you have right now? Like, are you just thankful that you do have a truck that can pull a church trailer? Are you thankful for what you have? And, uh, and I was like, okay. And I got to the spot where it's like, God, you're right. Thank you for the vehicle I have. Thank you. I, I trust you. And I'm telling you, church, no sooner do I, like, let go of that. Joel Wise gives me a call. He's like, hey, I'm trading my truck. You want it? I'll take care of you. Really? <laughs> like, really? I, I go like this? And, and, and isn't that how it often works? You see people, like, with jobs or relationships, it's like, I want it, I want it, I want it. And God gets them to a spot where it's like, okay, I give. 
And God's like, perfect. Now your hand's finally open where I can put in there what I wanted to do the whole time. And this isn't like some, some great equation where somebody's like, I figured out how to get a new truck now. Thanks, Pastor. Like, no. It, like, God cannot be mocked and manipulated like this. But I'm just saying, from the text, what do we see? From the text, we see someone open their hands and God said, hmm, that is awesome. Here's what I'm going to do. North, south, east, west. And oftentimes, the reason to open your hands, not only to give God what is due him, but the ability for us to receive what God would want for us. And we can do that because of a security that God is good. And we can open our hands saying, Lord, you give, take away. Blessed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not mine, yours. That's the posture that God would have for us. Contrast that with lots who say, no, I'm, that's fertile. That looks good. I'm going to go get that. Well, how does that work out? Chapter 14, we see a battle brewing. And so if you see in chapter 14, all these kingdoms are coming together. And in uh, verse 9, we see that there's four kings against the five kings uh, uh, of Lot's kind of area. And this val- uh, in this valley, a battle is going to take place. And in verse 11 of chapter 14, we see, So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their provisions, and went their way. And they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. Let's stop there. We see that Abram's nephew, Lot, where was he when we kind of left him in 13? He moved his tent as far as Sodom. What does it say here in verse 12? He was dwelling in Sodom. This city that would have had walls and and, and, and strength to it. He's saying, oh, I don't want to be in a tent. If I'm going to be secure, surely these city walls and, and this stone offers more security than a tent. And so he moves into town. And again, what was said of these guys in the end of 13, oh, they're great at being wicked. <laughs> Lot overlooks that and makes his home within their walls. And I believe he had to be thinking, surely these stone city walls are going to offer security that I need. And in a day, he goes from being securely within the city to being a prisoner of war. Not only him, but his whole family and all of his possessions. And I resonate with Lot because oftentimes, again, I use my eyes and I want to try and find security and I try and create that security by my actions. Do you do this? Because this is, this is me, and it comes out most, honestly, with my daughters. I have four beautiful daughters who I love so much. And I didn't think that I'd be like the helicopter parent that like hovers around and like wants to keep them safe. But for some reason, like that is, that is me. If I could put helmets on them, wrap them in bubble wrap, I'd do it, church. I would. They probably need to go like to some counseling after they got out of the home. But like, I want to do everything I can to, to provide a level of security. I am the parrot that's like, ooh, don't climb so high in a tree. Like, I'm the dad that's like, man, we live in a crazy culture. I don't want you playing in the front yard by yourself. Be in the backyard where I can kind of keep an eye on you and you're away from all these things. Like, I want to, as a dad, protect them. And I don't think that's all bad by any means. But I get this false sense like that somehow if I do all these things, I can make sure that they're secure. 
And my wife was picking up on this a week or two ago. And she says, our kids are like eight, seven, going to be five. Oh, they're all changing. Their ages are changing right now. So eight, seven, five, three. So getting older. I just rounded up on most of them. That's what happens, right? You get older. Uh, but she's like, you know, I, I stay at home with them all day and we do some school in the morning. And she's like, what if something happened to me? Like, what if I got knocked unconscious or I had a heart attack? Yeah, it's me like, oh, that'd be sad. Yeah, so I start to freak out. She goes, like, what would happen? And I'm like, Danica, Hannah, they're my two oldest ones. I'm like, come here. Like, use dad's phone. How would you dial 911 if mom got hurt? I am not joking, church. They took my phone, opened it up to selfie mode. I'm like, not helpful at this point. Like, you can take pictures, but you can't dial 911. And they're like fudging around. It's like, no, that's the games. Like, that's the camera. Like, 911. So working with it, I'm like trying. But it, it brought me to this spot where it's like as much as I try and create a level of security, as much as I try and have control over the situation, at the end of the day, not in control. Just go there a little bit and think, like, as much as we try and control our circumstances, and even if, you know, you get that, let's say you get the best security system, you got the concealed weapon, you're going to protect, Psalm says, uh, Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman watches in vain. Even if you could make your house so secure, you can't stop your own heart from attacking you. You can't keep cancer out of your body. And I'm not wishing that upon anyone, just merely bringing the reality. Even if you do everything you can, you get the, the five-star rating on your car and, and all that stuff, it's, it's going to be safe. I'm going to be secure. I've got all the seats. You can't prevent the other driver from looking at their phone and crossing the line. And some of you probably are like me, having a freak-out moment like I had last week where it's like, but I don't like that. Welcome to the reality that you would make a terrible God. You and I both would. Trying to control everything. The reality that we see that God is in control. And that helpless feeling should drive us to, to, to open our hands. And when my wife got me to that spot last week, it drove me to my knees in prayer saying, God, please protect my daughters. And it doesn't you know, mean that we don't be good stewards and, and take steps, but the reality is, is unless God goes before us, it's all for naught. And so where is your security found? Abram, I think, feels so secure in the Lord. And it's security that's found not by holding on, Anthem, it's but by letting go, trusting God. That's where security is ultimately found. And we see Abram in this spot where when it comes to land, God, I trust you. And when it comes to this thing, I'm going to trust you. See what he does here in verse 13. There was one who escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living in the Oaks, Mamre and Amorite, the brother of Eshel and Ner. And these were allies of Abram. And when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and he defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and brought back his kinsmen, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. Let's stop there. Lot's looking for security, so he moves within the city. 
Abram, when they find him, he's living out in a tent out in the open field. Yet somehow he's not a prisoner of war, right? You know how hard it is to break into a tent? It's not hard. It's like lifting a blanket, right? Like it is not hard, but yet he is secure in this story. And not only is he secure where he's at, he hears about his nephew and, and he looks to his neighbors and he's like, hey, and looks to his men in his household. He's like, hey, we got to go. We got to go to battle. And so 318 people, and he's going to go do with the five kings of Sodom and Gomorrah in that area. The five kings couldn't get it done. This guy's going to get done with his neighbors. And so he goes. Now, I, you have to ask yourself, like, who is this guy? Because last week when we studied Abram at the end of 12, he's in Egypt, and he tells his wife before he gets there, he's like, hey, say you're my sister because you are my wife, pretty good looking. And if they find that out, they might kill me and take you. And so he cowardly asked her to lie so that he doesn't risk his own life for his wife. And sure enough, Pharaoh takes his wife into kind of his harem and he doesn't say anything. That's Abram in chapter 12. He doesn't fight for his wife. Now we see that he's willing to go to war for his idiot nephew. And not only is he willing to go to war, again, these five kings just got defeated. He's willing to walk 160 miles on foot one way just to pick this fight. <laughs> I can resonate with Abram when it comes to high highs and low lows. Amen? You know, the, the, this just a few chapters ago, but now so secure. And I don't know. Have to believe that he's clinging to this promise yet again that was just kind of renewed in 13. That God said, All this land is going to be yours. And I don't know if he could comprehend, but he had to deduct, like, I guess I'm not going to die then. Like, I believe at that point, you could have said, Abram, you want to go skydiving without parachutes? He would probably have said, Sure, why not? I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm, God is for me. I am so secure in that. Let's go fight. And so he just so securely goes and has this battle and just defeats these kings, gets everything back, including his nephew, all the possessions, and he goes back victorious in 16. Now he's going to meet a couple of kings on his return. We're going to see the first king is kind of a priest of God and gives a blessing, and the second king attempts to give Abram the spoils of war. In verse 18, it says like this, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered you, uh, delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Let's just stop there. This priest is not mistaken as to who won the battle. God. God won the battle. Abram just happened to be a tool, but he gives credit. God is the one who delivered your enemies into your hand. And he comes up with this term that is so fitting for who God is. He's saying God is the possessor of heaven and earth. 
and God who has everything in heaven and on earth, man, he has gone before you and he has won this battle. And you are so blessed. And Abram's like, no, <laughs> you're blessed. Like, it gives him 10% of all the spoils of war. And say, you're a priest of God. You nail it. Thanks for the blessing. Here, here's 10%. And this is the first time we see a tithe happen, which literally means a tenth. So he just gives him a tenth. Because Abram's not working from a spot of scarcity or lack. He doesn't see 10% as going out to this priest of God as money lost. Because he understands where the 100% came from. Does that make sense? He understands God is given. He was just a guy with his sandals, his wife, and he didn't have a whole lot. He has a whole lot more now. And yet again, God just provides for him yet again. And so it is no thing for him to give back, and he gives generously. I'd say it like this, your generosity is a clear indicator of who you believe God to be. And Abram recognizes with Melchizedek that God is the possessor of heaven and earth. It is all his. The second king goes a little bit different, the interaction. Verse 21, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord. God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest should you say, I made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with them. Let Enur, Ashel, and Memory take their share. You understand what's happening? The king of Sodom, who, by the way, is the, the leader of this city that is full of great wickedness, and this leader of the city comes and says, hey, you, keep, you can keep it all, or, or the 90% that's left, you can have that. And Abram says, no, thanks, but no thanks. Why? Why does he turn it down? He says there, because he does not want this king to have any sort of boast that somehow he helped make Abram rich. He wants to make it clear no, the reason I'm in the position I am is because of God, not you. And I don't want to get, I'm not even going to take a little strap of a sandal. Hey, we'll take the food we ate. That's it. And I, I just wonder if he's like, bro, I just defeated four kings. Don't think I need your quote unquote generosity that was, you lost it all anyways. But nevertheless, he uses this language where he says, I serve God who is the possessor of heaven and earth. And Abram, just with these open hands, is just trusting God alone. And that trust in God looks like something. And if you resonate with Abram in today's story, the Abram of chapter 13 and 14, with open hands, man, if that is you right now, and we have people in here that give so generously, financially, of their time. I mean, this building brought it out where it's just people just being so generous, that says something of what you think of God. And you recognize that God, it's all his. And so there's just this position of surrender, much like Abram here. And I would say it is to your joy to stay in that position. Stay generous, stay hands open, allowing God to not only take what is his, but allowing yourself to receive 
from God, the blessing that he would have for you. And so if you can resonate with Abram here, I just say, just stay open-handed. You won't be able to outgive God. And so stay open-handed. But it, perhaps you resonate a little bit more with Lot. Or you've been using your eyes and you've been trying to, to, to ensure security by grasping onto something. I'd say, man, repent, open your hands. But even if that's your spot right now, where you're trying to ensure it by, by forcing that relationship, forcing that decision, you got to know this from the text that you see clearly. Lot had people who loved him. Abram risked his life to rescue Lot. And the good news, Anthem, is Jesus Christ gave his life to rescue us. The thing that Lot had going for him right here is he had somebody that loved him, that was willing to risk his life. Jesus gave his life for us. And so whether you identify with Abram or Lot, there is good news in today's text that we have a good God who loves us who would send his son to die for us. And that should provide a level of security that God, that God is so good and he can be no more good to us than he already has been through Jesus. Why can we open our hands saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done? Because Jesus's were spread on a cross and nailed for our sins. How can we, if Jesus was willing to do this, how can we not humbly say, God, your will be done? Whether good or bad, God, your will be done and have a posture of surrender. And so as we take communion today, again, we are introduced to who God is. God is a good heavenly father who is over all things and that it's way north of the, any earthly father could ever be and provides the security for us as his children. And so who God is that we see in this text, the possessor of heaven and earth should have us in a humble position. And so as I invite the band up, we have an opportunity to take communion. And there's communion stations kind of all around. But before you go, just reflect. And if you're in that spot of open-handed, you're in a great spot. Just commit to that and say, yeah. But if there are things where you're yet again trying to find your security, I would invite you to surrender, to open your hand. And so if you're thinking, man, I just need this and that would make me happy. That's the thing right now that I would just invite you to give to God as you go and take communion and say, God, I trust you because of what you've done through Jesus. Anthem Church, we... we the gospel invokes that we would have a surrender. And so as the band plays, you can go and make your way to the communion station, break off a piece of the bread representing Jesus's body that was broken. And you can dip it in the cup rep representing his blood that was shed for us. And you can take communion. And if you need to have a conversation with your, your spouse or our friends or people that came with you, I invite you just to to do that, just step to the side and have that conversation. And let us not leave here just indifferent to God's love for us. Want us to leave here surrendered that it would actively look like something. So I'm going to pray for us as they start. God, we do. We thank you, Lord, that you are the possessor of heaven and earth, that we need not have control over everything because, God, you are in control. You are sovereign. And so we just acknowledge that this morning. 
You're in control. And so, Father, would you right now, by your spirit, show us where we're yet attempting to take control. And God, would you put us in a position of surrender? Would we be humbled before we get humbled? And so, God, would we please, would you move? Show us those ways and would we just surrender? So pray, Holy Spirit, and just invite you to move now. And God, would you please just embrace us with your love as we take communion today? Would we just begin to know the overwhelming love that you have for us and the security that we desire that is ultimately found in you? And so, Heavenly Father, invite you to move. And pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Again, when you're ready, you can make your way to a community table.